golly, we're back. Welcome to the Comics Table. We're here at the Comics Table in 2018. 2018, I'm Sweet Tea. And I'm Sweet Pea. Welcome to the Comics Table. Welcome to the Comics Table. We uh, missed you. We hope your holidays went well. Yeah, we got a, We put out a lot of episodes at the end of 2017. Yeah, we really dumped a lot of content out there. Yeah. If you yeah. haven't listened to them all, go back and listen to them. Those got a are lot good, of good episodes. Got a lot of good feedback. Yeah. 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 I was... Uh, I was in bed with Patrick's mom post-coitus, uh-huh. and she uh, just took like a big draw out of a cigarette, yeah, and uh, turned to me and said, "This the the, uh, the episodes they're, they're sounding really good. Yeah, I'm really loving She's them." She's so psyched. She, she loves these episodes so much. She started smoking again, right. and then she 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 exa- ex- exhaled, yeah, exhaled, uh, stumped out the cigarette. On your nipple. On my nipple and said, mm-hmm. but you know that my son Patrick is way more talented and beautiful than you are. Uh-huh. And then she started blowing me again. And so it she's was like, but in the new year, you've got much more work to right. do. That was a crazy Christmas Eve. Yeah. It was a crazy Christmas Eve. She, uh, uh, we missed her at, uh, at the family house, but I knew she had more important places to go. Also, if you got to hook up with my mom when she was smoking, you're a lucky guy. She was, she was very hot back then. Yeah, my mom too, I guess. She was, she was beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, objectively. Yeah. I like women that smoke. Yeah, I'm, I'm turned on by you, that. You said you like the taste of women that have cigarettes on that. Like, cigarettes, on their breath, right? booze, it's the best. Yeah. That's the only way I get to taste booze um, anymore. So so uh, for those of you that don't understand sarcasm, definitely wasn't banging Patrick's mom. She's way too classy of a lady for me. No, uh, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't call oral sex exchange banging. So no, you didn't bang I said mom. post-coitus. Oh, right, right, yeah. right. So, Latin. You brought the Latin into I brought, the room. I brought it into the, the mixture. I missed you, man. Happy yeah, New Year. How are you? Great. Your hair is looking amazing today, sir. Oh, I'm a mess. It's like no, it's like it's kind of like got a beachy vibe. We're, yeah? we're in we're in twenty degree weather. You got beach hair. Well, it's been under a winter cap with uh, product in it and stuff. So I just had to take it off and tussle it. Sexy man, and I like my follicles are just hanging on. Yeah, they like are. They're just not really, but kind of some like, of them. You're a depressed person, and every hair in your head is also depressed. Right, and like it, they're just like yeah. they want to kill themselves. It's like they're both. They're all like slowly moving off my head down to my eyebrows. Mm. Is what's happening. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, man, it's actually been a miserable couple of weeks for me. Oh, yeah, you were. So it's you had nice a cold, to be back in right? the. In the in the comics table seat, yeah, I got real sick Christmas Eve, and then for like a week I was, uh, I, I had strep, is what it turned out to be. Yeah, I, I hate it when my friends are sick because I want to do something for them, but there's nothing I can do. I'm not you a doctor. You are so compassionate. You sent like so many nice texts and and uh, voicemails. It was very sweet. I'm, tr- I'm trying to bang you. You know that. Nobody else cared about me in my life. Oh, that's bullshit. Although, you know what I was surprised by? My father and I struck up a real text relationship over the holidays. Really? Yeah. Like he, sexual? Is he like he's sexting, pictures of his dick? He stuff? actually did show me a sext. He has a flip phone that has color pictures. Like, you can look at photos on it. Mm-hmm. And another farmer buddy of his sent him a GIF animation of a... A Santa lady mm-hmm. right. uh, unveiling just beautiful breasts. Is and this it's, from FarmersOnly.com? Did he get that from I don't know, but it's literally like tw- a 20-frame animation. He hit play on it. It took like a minute for the thing to start playing. And this is at my aunt's house on Christmas Day. And uh, and it's just, just this woman opening her top. And it's literally a phone from like 2004. And I, it just felt like a very special moment you know, between you know, that, him and I. That's like more innocent time when like... Uh, Two men, a uh, father and a son, could could uh, look at some nudies together. Yeah. You know, maybe give you a card of nudes, and and you know, some some like you know the car, the deck of cards with the nudes on. Yes, them. or yeah. the pen that you flip it and the ink unveils the yeah. naked lady. Just really, you know, or you know, some kind of postcard from Europe with you know some some tan tits, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. Yeah, 
Those were the days, man. Yeah, like some tan lines. You can't do that anymore, I don't think. I don't well, know. Well, what's weird is like when I was a kid, we we found a pen like that in his drawer, and I remember being creeped out that my dad, you know, sex was confusing back then. But now as a grown man, I'm like, oh, this is him relating to me. Like uh, it felt special that he felt comfortable to show me that. When I, when I was a kid, I found uh, some penthouses uh, in, in, in a drawer in, in a bathroom mm-hmm. in my grandmother's house, which my uncle were my uncles I found out later on. Yeah. When, and this, you know, at the time, you know, that, that was just like mind blowing. The penthouses were, were just beyond yeah. anything I'd ever seen or experienced. And, um, and, uh, so my, my stepdad found them and I got in big trouble and then they yelled at my uncle and then he hid them away. And then later on, like I was like rooting around in the attic and I, I crammed open one of his briefcases and found the old penthouse in addition to one that was clearly his yeah. as well. So, so you're like some of your formative memories around sex were that it's shameful and it's hidden that's, and you don't, and right. you just stuff it away in the attic. That's right. Anyway, I feel like we're getting into some really interesting topics here and I, right. I think we've got we should bring guests. in our guests. Yeah, we've got our guests sitting here patiently yeah. like, come on guys, get yeah. the fuck to it. Well, we're so happy he's here. You've seen him on television. You've seen him on commercials. He's traveled the world doing USO tours. Very talented stand-up comedian. Jason. Jason. Salmon. 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 It's all good, man. It's so good. See, you gotta you gotta throw you in your name there, man. That's, you know what? I put on the back of my uh, on the back of my business card. I put the logo for Better Call Saul, yes. and I oh, just yeah. substituted Solomon. Yeah, oh, that's because that's thing. just that's the way that people can understand. It's funny you bring up that show because you would be a perfect character on that or the Breaking oh, Bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, like, that's my world. That's yeah. definitely like my, one of Jesse's friends. Or something. My uncle was a chemistry teacher in New Mexico. Oh no, oh, shit! Yeah, really? yeah, and he. He didn't know that Breaking Bad existed, so uh-huh. there was a stretch of time during his life where it would randomly come up at a party that that uh-huh. he teaches chemistry at a high school in New Mexico, and people would say, he's like, I didn't understand why everybody was suddenly so interested in talking <laughs> to me. So this first yeah. time in my life that being a chemistry teacher was really I saw marketable. some kind of like yeah. news clip or something that there was an actual real Walter White who wa- who was like a meth dealer, but like also might have been like a teacher like yeah might have fit in all of the parameters there you know yeah i think i saw that too yeah uh, yeah if my they, uncle wanted gotta to be do it, he could have done it yeah my uncle was one of those guys who just he he just he finished his teaching career and yeah. just became an engineer because he invented something wow and and they just said we want you to come work at the big oil company here in town and so he ended up just becoming an engineer for them. Just wow. and this is in New Mexico. In New Mexico, yeah. yeah. Have you I been? Mean, have you spent any time there? Oh yeah, lots. Yeah, yeah my I, grandma I, lived. I there. love that area, of the country. Yeah, like New Mexico. So, I mean, Arizona. you have to be yeah. comfortable with flat, dry, wide open spaces. It's beautiful yeah. though. Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, my girlfriend hates it. Yeah, mm. thinks it's the worst because she loves mountains. She she wants to right. see scenery. She wants to well, see it you up ha- against backdrop. The, you've got the uh, the the La Playa or whatever. You've got like the uh, the beach. No, I can't. That is I don't not know yeah. Spanish. Yeah, uh, he totally blew that. La Mesa. La Mesa. There we go. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, but that's totally uh, the the thing is like most of New Mexico and it's West just Texas is, is they say the saying is that on a clear day you can see the back of your own head. Oh yeah yeah. That's how flat it well, is. The, but 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 there's character. Like if you like like to me, the worst stretch of road is like in Oklahoma, where it's just flat, 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 and, corn. and it's no, it's just no. tumbleweed you guys, and dirt. <laughs> it's just dirt. It's just dirt as far as the eye can see. Mm-hmm. It's completely flat. If you're going along the Panhandle, it's just a perfectly straight road. 
I mean, it's it's the perfect place to die. <laughs> to you know, just like, like just kind of fall asleep at the wheel. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, it's it's a perfect setting if you if somebody was doing some sort of. But at the same time, if you fell asleep on the wheel and your and your car went off like the you road, you could go for miles and you miles. You could just go, for, yeah, for fifty miles and not hit anything. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's weird yeah. for some people to see that. It's, people coming from New York right. see that they're like, "This yeah. is crazy." Right. Well, real quick, so you're from Texas, right? I'm from Texas. What yeah. part of Texas? Uh, Dallas area. Okay. Yeah. And so has anybody up. ever messed with it when you were there? Uh, people tried. They tried. Uh, they all failed. Lots yeah. of carnage. It's such a stupid joke. It is. Yeah, it's really dumb. Really but that's that's sort of the nature of the state. Like right. like every like states are generally very welcoming mm-hmm. with their mottos and things. Like, Oklahoma, we're okay. Yeah. Missouri, yeah. show me. You mm-hmm. know, and Texas is like don't mess with us. Right. It's yeah. it's it's like fuck off but in a southern yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. like look Keep your stuff in Oklahoma, yeah. okay? Just don't bring it over. Which there. is funny because I see a lot of transplants from Texas and New York. Yeah. And New York has kind of like the East Coast vibe of that in a way. New York, yeah, New York and Texas both have attitude right. and they both have this sort of self-importance, yes. geographically yes. based self-importance. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, but vastly different manifestations. The weird thing is you're one of the few people I've ever met from Texas who lives in New York that has maintained some degree of their accent. Yeah, part of it was when I was just acting before I ever started stand-up, I was losing it, Mm -hmm. and I was purposely losing it. And then when I started stand-up, I realized that it. I just leaned into it. So the more when I'm coming off stage from a stand-up, Show, I just that's the thickest that my accent is. You know, yeah. that that brings up a good point because um I'm I'm wondering how you define yourself uh as a entertainer because I I've seen things out there where it's like Jason character or uh commercial actor. Yeah. Um and then I I first saw you, like not like met you, but saw you on Orange is the New Black. Okay. As like I think you were a security guard or, or no, no, I was, was a, a, prison, a prison prisoner. Guard. Sorry, I was prisoner. a prisoner. Uh, you were a prisoner. I was. Oh right. Head shaved. The, was it Chicago or something? Yeah, like we were that? flying to Chicago. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Oh, right. On the plane. I don't know why. I I always thought you were the secure a security. Well, because the, the main fit. dude has a mustache. Yeah, and but I you get, would also get, perfectly fit in a yes. role like that. Yeah. 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 Okay, but yes, yes, but I knew that I knew you from that. Yes. Um, and then, but then, you know, you've got this great kind of, um, loose kind of blue collar with like a, an edge kind of comedy thing. So I don't know, like, do you define yourself as more of a, a, a comedian or an actor? Or? Uh, I, I think I'm comedic. Uh, I, I would prefer to say I'm a comedian. I, I think that that's, uh, you know, that's, that's sort of the, do you prefer the... that or is that the reality? <laughs> uh, well, no, monetarily I'm an actor. Okay. Uh, so I, that's where, that's where I pay my bills. That's fair. But that's actually like Artistic a nice principle yeah. comedian. Yes. That's a, those, those things go well together. They do. Yeah. I mean, the great thing is, is, is that you being a comedian and being an actor are, they work. That's, yeah. that's just a list of things that you list of parts of the whole. So it's not uh, it's not something that that yeah. I feel runs against each other. I mean, I was checking out your resume. I mean, I don't want to creep you <laughs> out or anything, but I found you have two websites out there. One of which has your resume, and there's you've trained legit actor in legit yeah, acting yeah. schools, and you know your improv workshops and all right. that stuff. Do you do you recommend, or do you think it actually helps or enhances your stand up to have actorly tools to use on stage? I think it helps to be able to see I think it helps to take those classes or to or to or to just see what what you have at your disposal. I think um 
not everybody does that. Yeah. I mean, for me, there's a lot of theatrics, not huge theatrics, but yeah. I, I do a lot of uh, moments where there's a lot of facial expression and stuff yeah. like that. And it's just a thing that I do in the same way that I took to acting. Mm-hmm. It's just I find it very easy to be expressive without saying words. So, right. yeah. so for me, yeah, it, it was perfect. For, for most people, though, I think at least it adds to your toolbox. Yeah, sure. So, you know, we were talking about this, you know, I, I took a lot of improv and, and you were sent, you were talking about doing stuff at Magnet and doing yeah. stuff at UCB. Mm-hmm. Um, would you say you took more improv kind of training or more traditional acting training? Uh, I took, I took two, basically two separate things, traditional, but they were, both of them lasted about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um Magnet and UCB was just one sequence at a time. So right. uh, I probably took more different versions of uh, improv. Did you ever get on any house teams or anything like that? I or, didn't. Uh, no, the weird thing about improv is it it was such a it was such a skill that I just couldn't quite. Mm. I really enjoy it, and I have a great time. And when I'm performing, I, it it feels great and it goes well. But it's one of those things that I just couldn't sink into in a yeah. way that I felt good. Like I I don't mind getting butterflies when I go to a show or something. But when I would do stuff at UCB and Magnet, uh, when I was training, I would get this just I don't want to go level <laughs> yeah, butterflies. Yeah, yeah. And and there wasn't that that switch and it wasn't until after all that uh that I that I just randomly auditioned for a short form improv team. Mm-hmm. Uh and and that's when it sort of clicked in. I was like, "Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, this is I think is- that's what a lot of people think of when they think of improv like they think of whose line is it anyway yeah, or yeah, kind of short form. Yeah. Well, that's stuff. the most approachable. I mean, that's yeah. that's the easiest way for anybody who knows nothing about improv to get into improv cuz they explain a real quick game, a real quick rules and mm-hmm. boom. Well, yeah. it's, it's like playing it. as an adult, right? Like basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of fun and and the good thing is when you have really skilled improvisers who are doing that. Yeah. It it fills in what could be done conceivably by a high schooler. Yeah, I mean the game structure gives you an out, and it gives you a it gives you sort of a safety net. Yeah, uh, and so it is approachable. It is something that a lot of people can do. Yeah, uh, and I would occasionally find you know there were certain there was a level of people who were doing it with me. And sometimes you'd be on shows with people where you're like they're not the greatest improviser, but you can. It's not that hard to get through a show like this with somebody like that because you can't well also with improv with improvisation you know you can have somebody that's really good at a particular thing yes they might not even be an overall great improviser but they know how to shift scenes to the right direction exactly or or be like the maybe they're the same character but it always kind of like can make something kind of congeal or whatever you know yeah, I mean, there's a there's a long list of characters in TV and movies that were Developed. solid yeah. at improvising, but were never the stars. Ellie yeah. Ellie Kemper, mm-hmm. I saw her do a lot of improv. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we were, she was, she was in UCB. Was she? Uh, as I was training and yeah. sort of starting to be on teams and stuff, uh, not house teams, but but. Uh, uh, indie teams, indie teams. Yeah. <laughs> um, indie teams at the at the theater, and uh, so we had a lot of interaction just during that stretch. And so I saw her perform a ton, and she was solid, mm-hmm. and she was great on a team. 
but never even close to the star of the team. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, I was always like, oh, you know, this cute well, girl who's, who's, who's good at improv. Office, yeah, right? like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's solid. that's the whole thing. Is yeah. is it's not necessarily those. There's a ton of people I saw who were phenomenal at improv yeah. who I could watch for hours just. Yeah. Just improv with one other person. Or... Who's the guy who played Gabe on The Office? Like, uh, yeah, that's he was. Uh, he was I he I was also, also UCB all the yeah. time, but he is he is really he is, good. Yeah, yeah, he I saw him do some really good stuff at UCB because yeah. that was during that same stretch. Yeah. I mean, those guys were contemporaries. Really yeah. young, tall, skinny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He always, and he's he's on. Uh, I think he's on. Uh, he's on El uh, Silicon Valley. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then it's interesting because like so many acting roles, they're they're casting people. From improv as opposed to more traditional acting like channels, which is, is like in some ways it's it's kind of it, it's kind of fun because like I do sometimes like uh, the the kind of comedy that's out there in movies and television where people are just kind of going off the cuff and that comes uh-huh. from a very improvisational way. But sometimes it can kind of be like lazy almost where you have a movie that's all just people shooting the shit and it's like okay that. Like half of that works, yeah. and half of that's just right. kind of yeah. who gives a fuck yeah. about well, that. Well, yeah. I, th- I think the the stuff that really, really uh, works for me when I'm developing it is something that you improvise, and then you go back and you listen to what you improvise, yeah. and then you write it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you go in and and sort of do a raw read of it, mm-hmm. where you where you where you do it, but you sort of allow yourself a little uh, uh, latitude as far as going one direction or another yeah. yeah and when you're talking about that process right there are you talking about stand-up i'm talking about, talking uh, about like script, scripts? scripted stuff yeah, yeah. okay yeah because I, I do you know sketches and and i'm writing a couple of scripts cool with some people so uh, how how would you like tonight you we're working in the evening right now and we're in a big rehearsal space in manhattan and uh you you were running late because you came from another audition yes and you said that you auditioned for one thing but then they wanted to pull you in for another thing yes did you rely on improv tools to go oh, yeah. kind of think quick on your feet? For that you? a little bit. I mean, the thing I auditioned for was a really weird piece, and mm-hmm. and part of it was that that magic right, right three, right? <laughs> it was the opposite of magic. What <laughs> like black magic, Mike? Mm-hmm. Uh, that sounds that <laughs> sounds more racially motivated. I bet no, that exists. And I I'm bet sure we could find does. it downstairs in the DVD store that we're uh, above at the moment. That's true. That's true. Um, no, it's uh, yeah, it's this weird uh, short that these people are doing, but they they wanted somebody who, who had sort of a weird look to him, and I don't have my mustache right now, but the guy at the casting office says, "Oh, he's got this killer mustache <laughs> when he grows it in, so you should you should have him read for it." And that's the whole thing. It's hard to grow mustache and not look like a total d bag. Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, I it's, think Jason pulls it off. Though. Oh, he does. Absolutely. It's a, yeah, it's yeah. a weird look. It, it's it, part of your Texas yeah nature. Yeah. It's got its own <laughs> character to it. So, uh, and the unfortunate thing is, I can grow a mustache or a goatee. Like everything I've grown in on my face right here yeah. has all grown in at the same time. Uh-huh. So I grow nothing here, yeah, yeah. and either a goatee or a mustache or a soul patch. So you totally, come your your ancestor was like a sheriff at some point. <laughs> yeah, clearly. I mean yeah. there is no, yeah, yeah, <laughs> clearly worked for law yeah. enforcement uh-huh. somewhere. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> any idea how fast you were going? <laughs> That's what it is. I, yeah. I I ask people that all the time for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. It's so just the genetic. second role, though, did do you, do you feel good about how that went? Did it feel good to go I in? Do. Just, I do. You used the word play earlier. Yeah, because uh, I just they they showed me the thing and they said this is sort of this this sort of off dude. Um, 
and he sort of falls in love with this woman. He's a ticket taker at a at a mm-hmm. carnival, and he falls in love with this woman who just stops and gives him a moment of her time, and he's mm-hmm. just blown away by this. But it's this like weird ride that's dangerous. It's like mm-hmm. it's it's this whole. I I didn't see the whole thing, but. The scene was, I was just, so I acted really weird and I yeah. purposely, I did, I I played uh, some improvisational stuff, but mostly I just locked myself into it like I sort of held myself real, real cocked to the side mm-hmm. and, and stiff muscled and, and, and just sort of stuttered and stammered through the words I was saying and, yeah. and like looked at, looked at the person I was reading with, like they were just a bizarre like you know like i don't know what's going on here yeah, so yeah. i i just played him really weird which was fun cool i mean just so let me ask you this so like when you're in the moment doing that and you're yeah. like you're 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 essentially riffing in the moment as this new person they just pitched this character to you so you've imme- you have to immediately act on it and it seems like you're that fires you up and that excites oh, you yeah, as an yeah. actor it's a lot of fun how would you compare that to emceeing a show? Like I've seen you emcee at New York, and uh, you're you're very funny. You're very like in the moment. You do a lot of crowd work, right. uh, and you kind of weave into material and stuff like that. What what fires you up more? Being in front of a a live crowd at at, at the club, or or in a casting room? You know what? It's uh well, the casting room is is has a weird vibe because there's just there are people that their job is to judge you, like yeah. like you're being judged when you're on stage. But their their whole goal, generally speaking, is is to laugh, is to have yeah. fun. So yeah. they're all t- the casting people have no if they don't have fun, they didn't ruin their job. Right. They <laughs> may have done their job better right. by not having fun. So. Right. It is. It's better when I crack the casting people mm. comedically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did a I did a Kleenex commercial audition uh, about a year ago, and it was a serious audition. It was basically this woman is crying, and this guy sort of gives her this Kleenex, and he explains to her, and he's sort of stammering through it, but he explains to her, he's like, "I just don't want you know because we're just people," and it's this beautiful little monologue that yeah. this guy has. But he does some. He did something weird about how we're not robots, and I, I made some weird quip at the end. How like, I don't know, some some stupid about like, robots scare me. You know, like <laughs> just something to button it, and yeah. it made them giggle. But as soon as they giggled, I'm like, that makes me feel better than anything. But I guarantee you, that keeps me from getting the part. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Because <laughs> tonally, it just didn't yeah. fit. But I was like, I'll take it. Yeah, I would so, much rather make them laugh. So I'm curious, like, what is like, what is uh, one of your favorite c- accomplishments in terms of, uh, you know, acting or comedy? Because you, you, you have some, you know, you've gotten started to get some some roles that mm-hmm. you know, like you you were on uh, what Thirty Rock and. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I saw you on Orange New Black, and then you've got other stuff. You've got the commercial stuff, and then you've got a lot of comedy uh, performances and stuff going on. What mm-hmm. what what in there would you say, uh, you know, is the thing that you're most proud of up to date? Um, I don't – gosh. Uh, I mean, the comedy stuff, because you create it from the beginning, because it's yours, because, you know, I yeah. mean, acting – yeah, I'm glad I got it, but yeah. the fact is, you know, getting to the final grouping is really the only thing you control because at that point it goes through so many levels of producers. Yeah, and, yeah. And if you're doing a commercial, it goes through the client. So there's a guy somewhere in a room whose job it is to sell 
to a you know to another client and he's deciding whether or not I was best at acting the role you know right, and yeah. so it's like that goes through so many levels that while it's a great accomplishment and while it you know has benefited me great and and I love that it happened that you're you're like they could have decided that they just wanted me because uh, I happened to be the only guy who came in with a mustache that yeah, day. And yeah, they're like, we yeah. love the mustache or whatever. Well, yeah. we we were talking about this at the Broadway Comedy Club Christmas party mm-hmm. um, that you just finished up a USO tour. Yes. Yeah. Which, which I think is just so cool. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I'd love to hear about that because I don't think we've had anybody on the podcast yet that's really kind of um, – talked about an experience like that uh, you know i i'd be really interested i'm sure people listening would be interested to hear like what that experience is like and uh you know i don't know anything you would share about that yeah that's uh that's one of those things that uh comedy is you love comedy but there's a lot of times that you're doing comedy uh in situations that are not great for you that you're like oh this is you know i'm Really, just basically blocking these people from getting the potato salad they want, you know? so, right. so, or, they're, or they're wasted, and it's one in the morning, right? And right they're or not even yeah, listening anymore. Right. So, there's a lot of scenarios in which you do comedy that you're just like, I'm just doing this to get better at doing this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and then there's other times where you perform for audiences and theaters or in clubs. Uh, big, huge audience that love you, and you know it's just great. It's just that synergy. But there's very few occasions where you can have combinations of that uh, and be have an actual level of altruism mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. in it. Uh, and, and it's weird to say altruism even because I would love to travel to places and perform, you know, for and it's not like it wasn't getting paid or anything sure, like sure. that. So it's it's. I f- it feels weird to call it altruism. But you were but, in a war zone. Right, yeah. I mean, you are <laughs> risking. There's risks yeah. involved and, and not everybody. But, like, it's a place I would never visit if it weren't for comedy. I went to Afghanistan is, right. is mm. where I went. And which is which is also one thing about that is, like, you know, there there's a war still going on yeah. there. And yeah. I think people forget about that because the news just is like, ah, boring. We're not covering this anymore. Right. Um, and But it's it's been going on for for over a decade yeah yeah and Um, there's an abstract way we look at it uh that that changes when you go in there when every time you land they give you a quick this is what happens if we do have an incoming missile Mm. this is the protocol this is the bunker you got to go in this is you know uh every flak jacket yeah every time you're flying you've got a flak jacket and a helmet you know i mean it's it's legit uh unnerving i mean it can be yeah it it really is uh but at the same time you're i mean it it makes it real is yeah. is the thing that that i think is the greatest value out of it because we do think about war as this abstract thing and it just i don't i don't i don't think that uh, i will ever 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 look at war the same and yeah. i didn't experience anything remotely traumatic yeah but just talking to these guys and women and and to and seeing them and knowing just a, a scraping the surface of the things that that they have to go through daily just as a matter of the tedium of their day yeah. is yeah. scarier than most than anything that's happening that in your most life. of us yeah. will yeah. face over yeah. the course yeah. of you know, years, right. you know. Well, I think that's something that comes up for them is uh, when 
the the scary things do happen it becomes almost addictive in a way because it's like uh it makes them feel very very present and in the moment and like like there's this book uh war is a force that gives us meaning yeah long title it's a huge journalist wrote it and he covered war zones starting in uh i think bosnia during all that stuff and and he caught him it's it's autobiographical and he goes into just how he in his career started seeking out reporting opportunities in war zones because he became addicted to uh the drama of it all and yeah the, and the immediacy of it and and you know the chemical stuff that yeah. happens in your brain from that uh so uh, yeah to go from like total insanity to like you know, keeping your bed yeah, it's, shape it's must the be... most it's the most boring thing when it's boring and yeah. it and it is the it's gotta be the highest level of adrenaline yeah. when it's adrenalized. Yeah. I mean it's just insane. Were did were you struck by how young these people are? Uh the first thing that we did, we landed when we landed in uh at Bagram Air Force Base, uh, is we had dinner with these guys and or lunch with these guys and we go and they take us into this vip room and we're like why we're the least important people here like it just felt weird but but the guy who sat next to me was so young yeah so young um and and it is it's it's you're like i mean i i expected youth uh but but he was definitely. Yeah. I was like, "Wow, this is what was I doing?" I you kept trying. I kept trying to think, "What was I doing at this age?" Yeah, yeah. But and nothing. I mean, I just even when I meet like a twenty-two year old recent college grad, I feel like yeah. that's a fifteen-year-old. You know, yeah. like it, for some reason, I just it's yeah. I, they seem so young now. Uh, and I, I get the notion of some countries saying, "Look, you have to serve in the military for two years, or you have to do something of that nature." Because mm-hmm. I think there is a there's a level of that that just being over there gave me. I'm like, this there's a there's a an ownership yeah. of the thing that you know. Again, it, it was abstract before you're there. When you're there, you're like, "We're at war. We should be at war. We shouldn't be at war. Whatever." Yeah. It's a very abstract. But when you're there, you're like, "Oh, this is." the thing that war is this yeah. is you know these people are are doing the thing so it's and so young yeah so how were the shows uh the shows were almost all of them were amazing how I many mean, did you do oh god we did so many shows uh, i mean one day i think we had four shows and five flights uh it was just wow. do a show get on a chopper really? go to another place land get off get the briefing find the bunker go do the show That's crazy. you know it was it was insane how long of a set were you doing uh it was somewhere in the neighborhood 15 20 minutes uh we had several guys on the show and uh and fun everybody, everybody was al frank in there grabbing tits he, or what? i mean you assume he was i mean i didn't see him but i assume he was that just helps me process mm-hmm. uh based on what i know uh by the way those flag jackets no way he touched her tits yeah, there's, yeah. there's no, way no he copped a real there, yeah that is not that is not a thing to happen but uh but yeah it was uh yeah, we were constantly moving, so uh, we probably averaged like three shows a day, yeah. maybe maybe three or four. You shows said a day. almost all. Of, which ones were not amazing? And we why? did we did uh, we did one show that was half amazing and half not. Uh, it was uh, I was the second guy up, and yeah. the, the first guy up 
just they were giving them nothing. And mm. the thing is, we're doing shows all over at different places. So in some cases, we were at theaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some cases, everybody was, you know, facing us, seated, you know. And in other cases, we're doing uh, mess halls. Yeah. Uh, DFAC is, is what they're called, uh, dining facilities. Um and, it's got a real ring to yeah, it. Yeah, it does. Defac. <laughs> I know. It just. I, I'm. I call them mess halls because I'm. I used. I was saying defac, and then I'm like, that sounds dirty. Also, <laughs> it just does. You know. So I, I, the military's so weird. I I've been doing. I started a job where I like MC on a tour bus. Mm-hmm. We recently had a bus full of army veterans, loved ones, and some current service service members, and it was through the MWR department. I think it's MWR. Uh, which stands for uh, morale, uh, welfare, and recreation. Okay. I think welfare is the yeah. W. Whatever it is. And it's like, really, military? You're going to, like, name this thing that's supposed to be fun and yeah. give it, like, some fucking acronym that's not that's fun what at it all? Is. That is and what like, the, the military is. It's, it's so a, weird. It's in, in so, On some levels, that's what makes it work. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. on other levels, that's what makes it not work. Well, on, and on one level, it's dehuman. It's like dehumanizing. Yeah, yeah. So you're like, just like this goes here and this goes there, yeah. and you know you have to move everything to a spot. But, but we were we were at, in some cases, those places without microphones oh, yeah. while they yeah. were eating. Yeah. Uh, so there was one we did where they had actually suffered a casualty of some sort oh, uh, mm. in the last year or something. Yeah. And uh, and and they were really like sort of there was a lot. It was a rough it was a rough place. I mean, yeah. they they had they took a lot of fire and things like that. So um, and that was no mic. You were just doing comedy to defect. pure PTSD. Yeah. I mean, and shouting at them. And yeah. it, it's yeah. weird. It's weird because you want you want these guys and women to to like you uh, yeah. on one level but more than that at the end if you don't if it doesn't go well you feel like you failed them yeah uh yeah. whereas if if i'm doing a set at, at new york comedy club and it doesn't go well my first thought is that audience stunk that was know? their problem yeah yeah like that's look i i know this stuff has proven over time yeah. to be funny and look if they didn't get it whatever if they didn't go with it Maybe a bad vibe, whatever. Not my fault. It's yeah. theirs. Um, well, uh, it raises an interesting question about audiences. Like, what does an audience need in order to be able to enjoy themselves? Yeah. And, uh, I think with the hierarchy of needs in mind, it's like general safety is one yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, if they feel safe, they'll probably want to have a good time. But if yeah. they just lost a buddy... Yeah, I mean, there's there's a whole level of... And what's weird is we left we left that uh, on uh, this vehicle and the guy's like... Oh, it was, it was actually a bus. It was... Uh, but the guy's like, look, they enjoyed having you guys here. Believe me. He said they... This has been a rough time for these guys, and and yeah. I know you guys feel like you failed, but he said, "Believe me, this was great for them." Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I'm like, I don't know what part of it, but <laughs> I, you know what? Good, good. Like Murdoch cracked a smile, and uh, <laughs> yeah, you know that uh, that means all the world. You know? <laughs> yeah, you know what? It, and the thing is, and I'm I'm an optimist. I'm one of those rare comics that like instead of focusing on that one dour person in the room yeah, if i'm yeah. if i'm having a bad set and there's one person in the room that's smiling i'm like 
feel like we you connected. Know, that, That's that, your that anchor. Come, yeah, that comes through with your your act, and I appreciate that so much because I have such a hard time. I'm a natural pessimist. Yeah, well, and, then you're in the right business. Well, but no, but no, because I think that. I think that coming at it with joy and optimism, even if you're talking about dark, pessimistic things, yeah. um, people are going to laugh at what you're saying, you know, just just irregardless almost of what of what you say. Yeah. Because they're like, oh, this guy is up there. He's he's having fun. He's happy. You know, like it's in, it's infectious. Yeah. It helps set the tone. Right. Definitely. But I mean, you know, there's there are some comedians that can get up there like Stephen Wright always had that kind of mm-hmm. that kind of long drawn out. But he but he also has a very particular kind of comedy where he has these really offbeat, off-kilter things. Yeah. And so it works. But I, th- I would say f- for the most part, if you get up there and you're just a sad sack and, yeah. you know, people are well, not and into it. I, th- I think that the key, no matter, w- you know, where you're coming from, is whimsy. I mean, if you, yeah, yeah. If you can establish, because I've seen people who are insult style comics who are edgy who are but they're whimsical yeah and the whimsy makes that Absolutely, work yeah. and there's people who talk about rough really tough subject material but if they're whimsical it works yeah and and i think that whether you're optimistic or pessimistic that's a thing that yeah. that i think is is inherent i i heard stories about bill burr uh, really turning off some audiences and 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 you know talking with some of his buddies who said just smile it while you're angry yeah. you know just you know enjoy your anger a little bit more mm. and I mean I don't I don't know how much of his stuff you've seen but I mean he that's what makes his stuff work yeah, yeah. it's yeah. like there's almost a I'm poking fun at how furious I'm getting yeah uh, whimsy to it mm-hmm. you know that's interesting. It's like a such a cool tool to think about using because uh, you, you're kind of like an emotional leader up there. Yeah. And if you sell your material in a certain way, people may not agree and jump on board and, you know, feel the same exact way, but they'll at least listen. Right. And I, I think, I mean, that goes back to knowing why you're doing it. Right. I mean, the, you, it ultimately is. And I and yeah, you're processing through a lot of stuff and yeah, you're. You're exploring things that maybe, you know, people haven't thought of the angle you're exploring it at. But ultimately, you're you're trying to give people a fun ride. Right. Yeah. And 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 like this can happen with with stand up or improv or just mm-hmm. any kind of yeah. creative endeavor where you get so sucked up in the endeavor of it. And right. the the trying to be successful, quote unquote, and right. like trying to do something that that uh is like a career and uh, uh some kind of trajectory and you're hanging all your life on it and that makes people really serious about it yeah and uh and then and then they don't understand why it's not working because because yeah. they get up there and they might have funny jokes but you can tell they're just so in like they're just internalized and you know uh they're they're so serious about it, yeah. And they, and uh, yeah, I I think I was something I learned very early on was like, oh yeah, I'm doing this because I enjoy it. If I if I just approach it with joy, then I'm going to continue to enjoy it, and right. then the people that are watching me are going to enjoy it too. Yeah, and the thing is, even if for some reason you don't connect with a given audience or or whatever, you still enjoy it on a certain level. Yeah, and and trusting that you know what. Not everybody's going to like every joke and not every joke's going to hit exactly like you want it to hit, you know, and that's there's some of those variables you can control and that's why I record all my stuff because yeah. even when I do a show that I think the audience was awful, I will go and listen to it especially if it went very poorly. I will go and listen to it. How and soon do you listen to it? 
I try to rip the band-aids off. Yeah, so I, get- I, I will a lot of times do it on a transit ride. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that'll be my New Year's resolution. I started to do that for the new year because I wasn't doing that for a little while. Because yeah. I always yeah. watch and yeah. listen, but it's rare that I will rip the band-aid off when yeah. I know that's yeah. the answer. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Well, the weird thing is, is a lot of times I've found that I didn't, I don't know it's the answer. Like, I think the audience is an issue or, uh, like, I did a set... Um, and this audience was ridiculously dumb. Mm. And I and I was just and I have this closer joke about bacon that kills everywhere. Just yeah. it doesn't matter because it's a little bit smart and it's a lot just stupid. Yeah. And so it it generally plays to ninety nine point nine percent of audiences yeah. that I've encountered. And I close with that joke, and they give me nothing. And uh-huh. I laughed because I'm like that. It's funny how little. You responded to that in my yeah. head. Yeah. I go back and listen to it, and what it was is I started out with something abstract, uh, and they didn't get it. And so for the remainder of it, every time I would start to get them back on board with me, I would throw out something abstract just as a raising the middle finger to mm. those people. And it was my fault. It yeah. was literally yeah. me going, you know what? You want to jump on board now? Screw you. Here, let's try this. Yeah. And it'd be like, and they'd, they'd be dumbfounded, and I would have to get them back. Uh-huh. I would start to get them back, and as soon as they were starting to come back, boom, another one. That brings up an interesting philosophical point, because in improv, we're told to play to the top of our own intelligence, right? Right, right. But in stand-up, I suppose you've got to be aware of the top of their what the what the limits are no, of I their think the rules are the same you still play to the top of your intelligence i mean you play yeah, to the top if, of your intelligence but the thing about stand-up is your intelligence involves your assessment of both you and the audience yeah, whereas an improv it's you are in a scene so yeah, there's like yeah. a fourth wall yeah uh and in improv the top of your intelligence involves you just go like it involves an interaction, whereas yeah. with stand up, the interaction is the audience. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you knowing that they're not there, the top of your intelligence is like is in part, look, I'm going to do this, but I'm but I'm going to understand where you're coming from. And, right. I'm, and I may adjust based on that. Well, I, I, I'm of the belief that and, and I know this might be naive. I, I've never had a bit. That I'm like, this shit works every fucking place, <laughs> no doubt, 99.99. I've never Is that your any, impersonation of me? That's that's my, well, no, that's it's so I'll, I'll have a, a 99.9. <laughs> that's on. That's dead on. It's about bacon. It's like I'm listening to my own I'm throwing an abstract thing, dog. I do say dog a lot. You're always saying dog. You did walk in here. You called us buckaroos. What's up, buckaroo? You shot us with finger pistols. I did. You put your gun belt on the piano over here. No, but in all seriousness, I've never had a joke like that where I'm – I'm so confident in it that right. that if somebody doesn't laugh at it, it's clearly their fault. Yeah. Um, but I I I also believe that you know there aren't any bad audiences. They're just levels of difficulty. Yeah. Like yeah. you have audiences that are just too easy, where they're they're so hot, yes. and you come in and you can you can almost just go and they'll laugh. Yeah. Um, and then you have other audiences that are they're they're just cold and they're you got to break them. You got to break them. Uh, you got to yeah. open them up and. And that doesn't mean they're a bad audience. It's just they're a higher level of difficulty. Right. You know? Um, but I, I do hear a lot. And you mentioned, and you did say this, like, some comedians are like, no, that's a bad audience. Like, I I know this stuff works. 
It's it's worked at uh, a thousand other places, a thousand other times. So yeah. the fact that it doesn't work with them, but yeah, but then but then you also right here it's at the point. Well, maybe you you did it. You did something different this time. Yeah, maybe which is you, why you know, I listened to it. Yeah, because um, yeah, to me, you can never assess where an audience is. Yeah. yeah. Just based on your immediate experience. Yeah. Once you listen to it as a third-party observer, yeah. then you have a better chance. I, there's a few comics I go to a lot of mics with, or I, I know their material very well, and sometimes I'll be watching or listening, and I'll hear them drop an important word yeah. or phrase from their premise. And they don't realize. And then they're confused later, like, why didn't that hit? And it's like, because you forgot to say... You yeah. forgot the best you part. You forgot to yeah. say uh, comb over in right. that one yeah. part. And they didn't have all the information they needed, and and I'll bet I'm guilty of that too. It's just yeah, well, I, I will. I wait so long to listen. I will uh, definitely say that in listening to it, you, I, I have heard myself. I'm like, no, you know what? I came out so sort of stiff. Yeah. When I when I hit the stage, or I, or I tried a joke and I I goofed up the the uh, wording of it yeah. and in doing that i sort of set a tone that yeah. i didn't dig out of i just tried to plow through sure you know but the thing is you as as you move through comedy as you do it more you get to where you sort of pick up on that as it's happening and you start to self-correct yeah uh and the ideal is that you're sort of able to oh i see what i did i yeah. can get this back by making sure that i stick with this right. and then sometimes it's just simply you're bored with your joke mm -hmm. and you're not conveying the whimsy yeah. that the joke needs to, yeah. to yeah. Well, really sell it. I've referenced this book a couple of times. It's so outdated and it's not a good – there's like the Comedy Bible by Judy Carter or whatever. Uh -huh. And it's, it's just very outdated. Like the, the her whole thing is like you have to do jokes. And this way you have to do an act out. Like it's, you know what I mean? It's like it's very like old style comedy. But there are yeah. a couple of things in there that are – that are good. And she was talking about, oh, I had this joke and it worked for a decade and it just killed every single time. And all of a sudden it just stopped working. And I realized that I had stopped believing in it at some point. And there's a funny thing about that. I realized that like there are jokes. You can say it, everything the same. You can have the intonations are the same. Yeah. Nothing's changed. But it's just people can see yeah, there's see a... past your eyes and they can see like this guy doesn't believe in this. And then they're not on board with you all of a sudden. And then suddenly this thing you're doing exactly the same way that you did before. It's just not working yeah. anymore. It's because you don't believe in it. And well, I think that's kind of an interesting phenomenon. That's where that's where acting has helped me out a little bit, because when when you're training to act on stage, you're talking about doing eight shows a week. Yeah. Um, over and over and over and trying to sell the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and it's and sometimes it's not it's not there whatever yeah. whatever the yeah. whatever's supposed to be behind that yeah. is not there you know, yeah. and you have to figure uh, out how to mechanically manufacture. I don't know that. how you know I I do improv and I can do that yeah and I can create characters and I can be in the scene I can be in that but I've tried I like I actually had a commercial agent that was like you'd be great in these commercials. I just here's a fake commercial read this commercial record it for me and then I can kind of try to sell you to different people. And I spent two or three days yeah. trying to record myself doing the commercial. I couldn't fucking do it. I could not get a good fucking <laughs> take because I could not make myself mechanically believe in this. Thing. You just got to do yeah. it in that southern accent you were just doing. Yeah, I, I know. It. Dog. That, well, Did you try saying dog? A dog. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's all things. They want, you to, they want you to do it like you. 
as, yeah. and yeah. I couldn't just be me. Yeah, just be conversational. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I am having the, a conversation. <laughs> when they say they want it, you they want a they want a hyperbolic version of sure. you, and they don't necessarily want that in like yeah 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 you know yeah. like commercial yeah. clown. But yeah. but at the I same just feel time, like such a fucking fraud. You well, know what I mean, look, the fact <laughs> is, the fact this is, is, showbiz, buddy. <laughs> you pretending like everything's okay is mm-hmm. fraudulent. <laughs> I mean, the fact is, I mean, it's all some version of just selling a yeah. narrative, and that's what we do. That's that's yeah. that's who we are as humans. So, yeah. I mean, to me, as long as it's not a product that I think is dangerous or I disagree with or, uh, you know, something that I think would compromise who I am as a person. But no, yeah. what if they said, Jason, we've got a two million dollar uh, rollout package deal. You're going to be the face, the international face of fracking of two million dollars a year. Yeah, no, nah, I wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> really? Yeah. You would say no? No. I, yeah. would, I think I would. Take I mean, that here's job. here's what I would do. Here's what I would do is I would research to make sure I was well versed on why I felt like I did and that I wasn't. You know, I would I would do a lot of research to confirm. <laughs> yeah, I'd but, be like, only if we do a Battlestar Galactica theme to this whole thing <laughs> will I be part of. It. Or or I could conceivably uh, subvert. Yeah, you know, like you and, would do the and, Sprint guy yeah. thing or the Verizon guy. Well, the Verizon guy was just—I mean, that's that's a not a, not a non-disclosure, but non-compete. that's that's a non-compete clause, and you sign it, and they pay you not Dude, that, to do other that commercials. That guy, yeah. oh man! But they paid just, him for a long time not to he, do that. He, yeah. I'm sure he made over a million dollars doing those those commercials. Oh, sure, probably oh he made well millions. Million. He, he, he made over a million dollars a year. And now he's doing year. it again with Sprint. This motherfucker yeah. is smart. Yeah. He's, he's like playing the system. Well, the thing is, he was so ubiquitous yeah. as Verizon. Yes. And then they just decided, weirdly enough, I booked a Verizon commercial right when they decided to drop him. Uh-huh. And so I had read this news thing. After I'd booked the commercial, I'd read this little item uh, in some sort of a trade periodical. Yeah. And uh, I was like, oh, they dropped the Verizon guy, and I just got a Verizon commercial. Like, this is and, my moment. And so I show up on set, um, and, the, and the woman who was doing the fitting, she said something to the same extent. Now, at that point, I, like, I, hear me now? I had sort of dropped the whole thing because it was very specific. It was it was NASCAR and, and IndyCar sort of <laughs> something to Hell do. Hell yeah, well, that's yeah, yeah, your wheelhouse. That it is, is, is my wheelhouse. Uh, I've, I've done a lot of commercials in Charlotte that have involved uh, NASCAR drivers. Oh, yeah. uh, but... Uh, you know, she starts whispering in my ear and I start getting the feeling again, like, what if something happens? <laughs> but then I'm like, it's not. I'm like, this is so specific. Well, talk about that. Cause I recently had an experience with a job, not entertainment related where sexually, uh, yeah, it was, well, it was a hand job and no, uh, you know, that thing of like, uh, you learn from your your kid. Don't count your chickens before they hatch. Type thing. Yeah. Like, have you had opportunities where you've had to consciously like not get too excited, like not get your hopes up, or auditions you're waiting to hear back from? Like, how how do you handle the the emotional roller coaster and sort of protecting yourself emotionally from heartbreak or or big victories? Like, well, I the I mean, the thing with acting and auditioning and um even stand up is you got to be in the moment and if you're starting you starting to put stakes on things and you're starting yeah. to you know say what do i need to do to achieve it's like no just do what you do and yeah. do yeah. it well and all of the preparation comes before you're on stage or in front of the in the audition or on camera all of that preparation comes before that when i when i uh 
I booked my first commercial uh, probably about three months after deciding, you know what? I'm not going in those auditions anymore worried about what they want. I'm going to go yeah. in and have fun doing what I do. And, yeah. and I, I actually teach a, uh, a class uh, on in booking commercials, and the first thing I tell the class, I'm like, okay, two things. One, any of you could be in a commercial. Two, when you go into a commercial audition, odds are you're not going to get it. Mm-hmm. And as long as you embrace both of those things, just have fun. I yeah. said that is the only thing you can control Yeah, is having fun. And if you have fun, everything else falls into place. And yeah. it may not pay off immediately. Yeah. It, may, it may, may not pay off. But worst case scenario, you just have fun. Yeah, yeah. And Philip Seymour Hoffman said it best. He said, if you are acting in a room that someone else has paid for, you are a successful actor. That's a great. That's a great thing. Which to think is a about. great summary of what it is, well, and that's, that's essentially what an audition is. It's, think, it's just a two minute, right? Two minute acting demonstration. Steve, yeah. Stephen King said something similar about writing. Like if you've ever written something that you then got money for that you used to pay an electric bill, yeah. then you're a writer. You yeah. yeah, I mean that's that's what it is. It's, it's it's not putting the stakes on the thing. Yeah, but just enjoying the moment just and showing because up and doing your job. Yeah, you doing your you part. prepare. I mean, there is no acting job that I've ever done that I didn't prepare How for. How do you prepare? Uh, well, I learned this by by screwing it up. Uh, my very first acting job was this phenomenal job uh, for Budweiser. Uh, my very first commercial acting job um, was for Budweiser. They flew us to Prague. We filmed it in Prague. It was amazing. Wow. We were surrounded by beautiful women. It was just crazy. It was just, I looked at the guy when we were traveling. Was, uh, was Air Bud involved? <laughs> uh, he should have been. He should have been. But it, it it was just insane. Yeah. How and I, and I remember the night before, I'm in my hotel room in Prague, and I'm writing a list of the things I'm gonna buy with my commercial money. Oh god! And I am just, I am just tempting fate. Yeah. I get on set. It, you know, it goes pretty well. But like, there's one line at the end that I couldn't get the way he was, he wanted it. Yeah. And the thing was, he was one of those really nice directors where he goes, "Oh, you're doing great, and you're doing this. Now we're just gonna change this." And I'm thinking. Is it now we're just going to change this, or are you changing this because it wasn't what you wanted? Right. And I'm trying, and I, I didn't need. know how to ask that. Yeah, and he didn't know how to tell me that, and so we were in this weird. And the line ended up not being in the thing, and mm-hmm. it no big deal. Nobody knew, yeah. you know. It wasn't. So did you did you not get in the commercial? No, I was in the commercial. I mean, okay. I was I was still one of the main guys in the commercial, but uh, and it was a successful commercial, but not because of what I added to it, right? And I remember walking out of that and going, I will never do that again. And so every night before uh, I start filming a commercial, they fly you down, they do the fitting, uh, and then, you know, the next day is the first day of shooting. The night before, I always go through the commercial. I get a copy of the script while I'm at the fitting, and I go through the commercial, and I just add tags to all sorts of things, and I come up with a page full of tags. Yeah that I can add in any scene and things that I can do. And every single commercial that I have been in since then, part of the commercial has been a line that I created. Nice. That's great. And and it's made it better. And yes. in a lot of cases Do they always encourage you to do that? Like Well that's the they... thing is these are ad guys. These aren't these aren't dedicated, 
you know, filmmakers, writers and filmmakers. I mean, I mean, I mean, directors and crews and everything. Yeah. They're, they're all, you know, artists. But but these are ad writers. So their production. thing is, is they want the reality of the comedy. Yeah. And that's what I bring to the table. And that's why they hire me. I've yeah. never I remember talking to a buddy of mine uh, who has booked a ton of commercials, too. And we were saying we've never walked out of a commercial going that we've gotten and gone. You know, I think we really delivered that script exactly how they wrote it. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. always have created a whole other thing. Do you have That's one so that you're cool. specifically yeah. proud of that you can remember? Um, with uh, with the Toyota commercial, we had this whole. Is that uh, where you're like in a swamp or yeah, something? Yeah, uh, I, I, I saw that commercial on TV. Yeah, like it was so cool. We filmed yeah. that in the swamps uh, outside of New Orleans, yeah. and. Uh, we're doing this whole filming thing, and at the end, I, I've, I'm around the campfire with my buddies, and I'm sort of summing up this story where I'd gotten bit by a snake, and I, I assume I'm allergic. I, I assume that I'm uh, incapable of being affected by venom. Mm. Uh, so uh, I basically go, so, you know, I'm immune to venom. And and uh, the guy says, in the, in the audition, I, that the line is, so I guess I'm immune to venom. And that's it. That's the only line. And so in the audition, I said, guess I'm immune to venom. S'more anybody? You know, and I just went straight yeah. to the food. And it just made it, I grounded it, and they, yeah. you know, that made them giggle. And you just add a button to it. But then uh, when we were on set, uh, I had worked with this director before, uh, and he would just throw out stuff, and we would banter back and forth, yeah. and we would create different things. And so the end, the button of that commercial is I'm immune to venom, and, and he goes immune. This other guy goes immune. I go immune, Steve. Like I just I just cut him off, and yeah. and we laughed, and we and we really tightened up that we uh -huh. we did it a few times, but yeah, but that made the sort of button of the commercial. It made people it like stuck. You, you brought Jason Salmon to the shoot. Yeah, I mean we've we uh, we had actually worked together that same director and I on uh, the uh, Geico Witching of Broom mm -hmm. Factory commercial. And in that commercial, we had come up with some funny stuff, but they couldn't do it. We had we had had this whole sequence we did with with one of our coworkers who she had turned into a duck. But they were like, we they he told us later on he's like we couldn't get a, <laughs> we couldn't get a duck to on set Behave. to film yeah. later. So so we cut that part. But we had but what's interesting is when you do so many things, yeah, and you're like I don't know which one they're going to use, but it's going to be good, yeah, you know, and you yeah. know that going in. Well, and to give somebody that many options in a day is so huge because I, I worked in TV production for like 12 or 13 years and yeah. on like documentary TV shows, which for me, I always thought, oh, these are big budgets and this is a six month project and this is good money, whatever. Uh, and then I got to know some commercial directors and they're like, oh, we spend that in a day. In a day. Like yeah. these are, the budgets are insane. They're insane. And I, it's like... If you're a comic and you think you want to act, like it's a good use of your time it to to use, make yourself yeah. uh, 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 attractive to the commercial. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's a phenomenal way of making money and being yeah. able to do what you want to do. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, they're how budgets. did you, how did you get two things? I guess how did you get involved in commercials and how did you? Um, and this is on a separate note. Back to the USO thing. How did you? How did you get involved in that? Like what? What were what were your avenues into these different things? In both cases, it was actually uh, something else I did that somebody who was involved in it already uh, recommended me. So uh, with the commercials, I had 
I had worked on a short film that my buddy did, and I was I played uh, the boyfriend of this woman, and uh, she said she said, "Oh, I should you know I, I work with this commercial agent. I should introduce her to you or introduce you to her." And so I said, "Oh yeah, absolutely, I'd love that." And so she introed me to who the woman who is now my current agent, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and it took a year of trying to foster this um relationship but yeah. uh but she brought me in we i auditioned uh for her and uh and she started sending me out it was weird there was a lot of stuff that i got sent out on uh it was at that point in time i was i was a lot younger um and i didn't have a mustache and so i didn't have a distinct look so mm-hmm. some of the stuff they would send me out was like for pretty boy stuff uh-huh. and other stuff they would send me out for was for very comedic stuff uh in fact i think one of the people in the office thought i was good looking and the other one thought i was <laughs> just comedic That's and so funny. i would go into some of these auditions and they would just be beautiful people and i'd be yeah. like oh i don't feel right here well can we talk about the scale of time real quick so are we talking when did you was this like 15 years ago you started working with 15 this years ago was when i started uh that's when i got up to this part of the country uh probably 12 years ago okay when so, I started. So, so but these bigger geico toyota yeah. i mean these are huge right these are huge still same contracts. same agent yeah uh is that just in the last five or six years that that started uh, happening I think 2000, uh, 2006 was it? the Budweiser. Oh, okay. So, oh, so it was, yeah. it was, yeah. Nah, so I probably started working with her about two years before that. So 2004. Cause I guess I just, I, I like just keeping in mind for myself that like just time takes time. It does. And like, it does. like things don't happen overnight and, uh, and that's okay. And the, well, the thing is, is that you work forever for the thing to look like it happened overnight right that's what right, you right. do is you just constantly yeah. keep doing stuff and keep getting yourself in front of people and keep working on your material and keep developing yourself as a character and keep practicing uh improvisation or or reading scripts or going in for auditions mm-hmm. and just keep failing i mean that's sure. a thing that that people don't embrace enough i mean in in the comedic world i feel like we do and, and in improv i think that that was a tenet that I was taught first in improv is that if you're not failing, you're not trying hard. Enough. Yeah, yeah. And you should have some scenes that just implode on themselves mm-hmm. when you're working on scenes. You yeah. know, I mean, when you're performing, you you don't want that to be the case. But by working on these scenes and by working on skill sets, it's like playing baseball. You can't know exactly where the ball is going to bounce, but when you fielded. 10,000 ground balls odds are you can field a ground ball yeah uh so that's so improvisationally that's what it is but but yeah you gotta you gotta say oh i'm gonna work on leaning this way and having to go back this way to get the ball that's uh you know so that it's a lot it is it's time but you know things pop i mean my budweiser commercial happened relatively early and I thought I'm set. Yeah. And then I went for a stretch where I didn't get anything for yeah. several years. Yeah. Uh, so that was scary. I thought yeah. I thought I've pretty much made it when I yeah. got that Budweiser commercial. <laughs> uh, you know, and you learn. I basically learned in part. You know, you can't just rest on your laurels. That's yeah, that's right. part of it. But that's in doing that and in working real hard. When I have gotten commercials, I've maintained a pretty solid, steady flow of them. Yeah. So it's worked out pretty well. And the next thing for you is a Netflix series. Uh, <laughs> I want to see like a 
Like you know, I think you'd be great. You know, Shameless. Uh, yeah, oh yeah. Like a yeah. like a series like that where there's like some darkness. Because like nice, I love ni- I love watching nice guys on stage in dark, yeah. like a dark setting, dark role. Like, yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. No, yeah. I, I definitely could. I've I've been fortunate. Like like the the role that I got with Orange Is the New Black was a like a meaner dude. Like, yeah, he was yeah. like a shaved head, and I was I was just a jerk. I yeah. was just a douche. Uh, so I've been fortunate. I've been able to play some really weird, uh, a spectrum of characters. Yeah. Did you have to shave your head for that role? No, weirdly enough, that was the only, uh, commercial that I've ever filmed that I didn't get. I didn't make the commercial and for the commercial in Charlotte with Jimmy Johnson, the race car driver, uh-huh. uh, I was supposed to shave the image of Jimmy Johnson in the back of my head. And I did. Came down early so that they could test. They tested a few guys' heads before they tried That's my head. So crazy. Uh, they they uh, shaved his image into my head. It looked really good. Uh, I'm sitting in the trailer waiting to go, and uh, 30 minutes before I go on set, they're like, "We're cutting that bit. We're not doing that bit anymore." Oh, and I'm no, like, "Oh, God. are Did you they still kidding pay me?" You? Well, first of all, they paid me to yeah. shave my head, or right. they paid me to shave the image into my head. They uh, and they paid me for the day shoot and they yeah. and they liked me. The the thing was when I went to the fitting, you know, I was really friendly and jovial with the producers, and so they really liked me. And they're like, "We're gonna try to get you on," but it was changing the the notion of everything they had done, and they didn't think of anything interesting. And literally, when I was on set, I was on set. They had given me this ring hat, like he he gets some sort of championship ring, and they had this huge hat. Uh, in the shape of the ring that they put on my head, which looked ridiculous. Uh, and they said, use this ring hat. And instead of being the crazed fan with him, his image shaved in your head, we're going to just put you over here and you're going to be a crazy fan like this. Uh, and so they put me on set and I'm like, I don't even know what, what we're doing. I'm like, yeah. I don't even know what the tone of this is mm-hmm. at the moment. And so from the back over in the store, they're like, they yell out. They're like, I'll do this, do this. And so had this been the first thing I'd ever done, I would have been mortified. But yeah. I was just like, well, this is chaos. This yes. is what we're doing. Yes. Uh, and so I just did something stupid. And then when I saw the commercial, I'm like, nope, not in it. <laughs> uh, and then I contacted my agent. I'm like, it looks like I'm not in it. And uh, she said, she said, yeah, not, uh, not going to make it. But yeah. anyway, uh, when I got back, so I was in Charlotte. And yeah. I go to uh, the barber in North Carolina. And got him to shave my head, which was great because I had a stocking cap on and I pulled it off and didn't tell him what was back there. <laughs> but what I told him was like, I was like, dude, I got so drunk last night and my buddies did something. <laughs> and so, and I'm watching in the mirror as he, as he takes off the cap. And when he takes off the cap, there's this mix of, holy crap, this is it's like a piece happiness. of art. But also, this is beautiful. Yeah, These right. people did some amazing work. <laughs> so, like, there's this flush of, like, ten different emotions washing over this guy's yeah. face. <laughs> uh, and also, he's like, do I recognize this guy? How do I explain <laughs> yeah. to this other guy what's on the back of his head? Maybe he doesn't want to shave. Anyway, so that was the greatest moment of that entire shoot. But he shaves it off. I get back, and two days later, they call me. They say, oh, we've got this role. Uh, on Orange is New Black as a prisoner. I'm like, well, I look like a prisoner. Uh, <laughs> I'm so, at the moment. So, yeah, I went in there and I booked the role looking nice. like a prisoner. <laughs> so sometimes bad fortune turns into good fortune. Yeah, where do you stand, like, on a spiritual, religious, uh, mystical level? Like, do you feel like everything happens for a reason? Are you a more pragmatic person? You know what? I, I 
I'm pragmatic. Uh, I I do believe in God, so there's uh, so I do believe that there's forces that we don't control. Uh, sure. I don't honestly think that he necessarily has the same goals for me right. as I do. Right. Uh, so pragmatically, I'm like, you know, look, uh, realistically, you put yourself in position to try to make things work out, and you're gonna get some some steering or some luck or whatever you choose to call it going one way or the other. Wow, like yeah. a last minute theological uh, question from Patrick over there. Yeah, I'm, I know I'm, it. I'm always interested yeah. in that. Kind Coming of in stuff. under the wire. Just thinking about Jesus. Man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Plus, wow. he'll save both your souls. That's now, right. that right there, if you want to deliver that in a southern accent, that will scare mm-hmm. folks away. Good oh, Lord. you would be a great... Ladies like, and gentlemen, let me tell you what. Jesus Christ, he's going to come on down and save your souls. <laughs> he will. Bless your heart. I could see Jason as a, like... You know those creepy churches in the middle of the evangelist we talked about? Yeah. yeah. Or a tent, Come on a tent in. preacher. Come on in the tent. Yeah. <laughs> we going to save your soul. We're we going to wash. We're going to give you a nice yeah. lemonade save your soul. Do not drink the bathwater, though. It is dirty <laughs> mm-hmm. from well, all them souls. Jason, what do you have going on in the next couple of weeks that you want to share with the people? Uh, I'm going to be doing shows in New York at the Strip. Uh, where else? Uh, all uh, New York Comedy Club uh, this Friday night is uh, 11.30. Any TV, movie, or commercials that are coming uh, out soon? Yeah, we, I'm, uh, we just filmed some radio spots for, or did some radio spots with Napa, but I've got Napa commercials. Nice. Uh, you can go on a YouTube page, Jason Salmon, uh, or my website, jason-salmon.com. Cool, man. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, tonight. thank we you. Yeah, my time. pleasure, Great guys. Time. Thanks for having me. Guys, I'm Sweet Tea. I'm Sweet Pea. Thanks for listening to the Comics Table. That's right. Come Bye. back and see us next week. <laughs> Bye. Bye.